there's so much focus on when I get this, then I'll be happy. But that was my story. My story was I thought that I would get all this stuff and then be happy. That's never the case. You get anything for yourself, whether it be a car or a client, that happiness lasts maybe a day, maybe a two days. And then the voices go, what's next? You know, rub their hands together and they're just like, it's just never ending. And welcome to episode 31 of the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the bull crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Now, I met today's guest at a Steve Chandler event. No, no, wait, wait. I think I should pre-record that piece. I've said that sentence so many times on this podcast. Come on, Steve. Isn't it about time you sponsored this podcast? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get to the point. This guy, uh, my guest today, it looked like he had everything in life by anybody's standards. It looked like he had a wonderful life. And yet he gave it all up to spend almost 14 years in a monastery. And since leaving that monastery, he has written, I think, three books. Yeah, he's nodding. Okay. He's written three books, built a coaching practice. He gives talks. He runs workshops, um, facilitates events. He's sharing um, all he learned in his Zen training to help people transform their lives and their businesses. So let's dive into his story. A big welcome today to my dear friend, Alex Mill. Hello, Alex. Thank you, Phil. I'm excited to be on your podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. I want to really focus um, today on like what's happened in uh, in your life and in building your practice since you left the monastery. But to set some context here, um, like I said um, in the intro, there, you know, by all accounts, your life looked wonderful, and yet you made that decision to give it all up and enter into into the monastery. So, can you tell us just briefly a little bit about that? What, how did that decision come about? And you know, briefly, what was life like? during those 14 years yeah wow okay so uh i'll start with uh the decision uh it feels like the decision was really made for me uh meaning that everything was starting to fall into place so when i first discovered the practice that i now do and the one that i practiced when i was training in the monastery i uh i found it through just how anybody finds anything. You know, you just pick up a book and you start reading it. And uh, my story was that it, um, it was as though the person who wrote the book was standing in my own head and talking about my life. And at that moment, something shifted so profoundly for me that I realized I couldn't really see the world the same anymore. And I know people talk about this experience when they uh, encounter, you know, either a video or they have a certain life thing happen to them, you know, they almost die. Uh, I uh, I feel like I got really blessed in that uh, I had everything working out for me, mm. right? Because one could say that, oh, yeah, it's really easy to find something that transforms your life when you're at the bottom of the barrel and you really have no choices. Here I had the opportunity to uh, keep going and doing exactly what I was doing, but I realized that what I was doing wasn't exactly fulfilling. It... Uh, it, by all accounts, you're right. I had the perfect relationship, the perfect job, all these uh, perfect place to live, had all the friends I really wanted. Uh, what I had, though, was I had an addiction to uh, collecting stuff. And um, I was a, a shopaholic, meaning that I would go out on my any spare chance I got to buy CDs back when there were CDs, uh, <laughs> books, <laughs> videos, all sorts of stuff. And I... Um, I just couldn't get enough. So so what occurred to me was, so it was funny, when I found this book on Zen, I started doing the same thing with spiritual books, because at the time I had no interest in anything spiritual. And kind of um, some I- irony there, isn't there? Like, it is, there is, Zen yes. Books. Yes, collecting Zen books. That's exactly what I was doing. And what I was avoiding was doing any of the exercises in the books. I I kept reading the books, and they kept saying something like, 
meditate, meditate, meditation, meditation that, meditation this. And I never did anything until I maybe about the ninth book or so, I kept reading this meditation thing. So I said, let me find out what this is all about. And that pretty much set, set the tone for the decision. It was like things started to slow down. Uh, my girlfriend at the time noticed that I was kinder, nicer, uh, more patient, clearer, focused. I noticed that too. I um, That was the first thing that I'd ever done that actually started to make something different for me. You know, people talk about how, yeah, you could read all these books, but if you don't actually do anything with the information, nothing will happen. Well, this is true. This is my experience of it. Because uh, those books would have just ended up on my shelf and nothing would have been different with my life had I not actually sat down and meditated. And then the meditation led to, wow, I need more of this. I need to find out how to actually get get this on a cellular level, you know, because here I thought all along that, okay, well, if collecting stuff isn't the answer, then having nothing is the answer. And then I went that route because I run into so many people out in the world today who see Zen as this um, minimalist kind of uh, experience. You know, I, there's a very popular blogger who talks about minimalism. And that's, I'm going to tell you, that's not the answer either. <laughs> <laughs> just sets up the context for the other end of the duality and misery there. And um, so it's really uh, an inner experience, not so much an outer one. And I needed to experience that when I went to train at the monastery. And that's how the decision I felt like was made for me. And we were going to travel cross country to um, just experience life, you know, my girlfriend and I. And um, it turns out that I targeted the monastery on the other end of the uh, the country at that time, just for a visit to see what it was all about, and then it's it a, a long visit. <laughs> it was a, it turned into a long visit exactly. It was supposed to be like maybe a month or something, and then uh, I it it just it just felt everything about it felt completely right. Mm. Wow! So that was the decision. Was there another part of it, like what the fourteen years was like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> How on earth do you summarize that? Really? Yeah, I'll, I'll summarize that. I know I spent a, spent a quite a bit of time on how I got there. Uh, the uh, well, it was profound. I mean, I, anything I could say about it would minimize it. Really, I yeah. just think that for the most part, I think what people project onto what monastery living is like it might might be kind of wrong. I I. I I worked a lot when I was training there. It wasn't um, it wasn't this uh, peaceful uh, sitting under a tree meditating with incense burning and chirping birds landing on my shoulder or anything like that. It wasn't um, it wasn't picturesque like that. It was um, a lot of a lot of hard work. Uh, you know, in terms of I'm going to put air quotes on this. There was nothing for me in any of this, meaning that. We came there to work, but it wasn't like an exchange for money. We were actually, anybody that comes to train at the monastery at the outset is a liability to the monastery because what we do is we bring in a whole bunch of conditioned mind nonsense with us, and we're actually more trouble to the monastery than we realize, you know. So I start to think that, oh, I'm going to do something good here on my own, and it ends up setting off a chain reaction of really bad stuff that starts to happen as a result <laughs> of, you know, making an assumption. And uh, there's resistance that happens because uh, ego wants something for itself, and so there's a lot of thrashing back and forth with that. And then if you stay there for any length of time and you're able to drop a whole lot of that stuff, the monastery will start to trust you with more and more responsibilities, meaning that instead of just cleaning outhouses, you're now leading a crew of people to go ahead and go ahead and clean them. And then you'll get um, uh, bumped up to being in charge of a large area of the monastery. Like I was the cook and I was the gardener at the monastery for many, many years. I ran a small business off the property of the monastery for many years. And then I started to uh, facilitate groups at the monastery and, tr and uh, retreats and workshops. And so this is just what naturally happens. And I, I think I may have said something to you about this in a conversation we had earlier. But the answer to anything that the monastery asks you to do is either yes or goodbye, meaning that we had to face a lot of things that we would uh, typically avoid out in the world. And... Uh, 
by saying yes, we had the opportunity to transcend uh, what we thought of as you know, who I am and what I'm capable of and all that stuff. So, you know, the first time you get a note saying, go uh, lead the group at the monastery, I'm sorry, lead tonight's group. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? Um, I can't do that. And then you had to face that. Wow. Yeah, you can. And and yeah, it's going to be miserable. But, you know, part of it is facing the voices in our heads, too. So that was also part of why we trained and did what we did, too, is, uh, Life isn't about avoiding those voices. It's about uh, egging them on and getting them to scream as loudly as possible at you so that you can see them through to the other side and see that you can actually leave them behind and have a really amazing life should you choose to. Beautiful. Anyway, I hope that answers your question. Oh, amazing. It has me kind of wonder a whole bunch of stuff. Like, is there, did, they, did there come a time, perhaps there, whilst you were there, that you maybe didn't recognize yourself anymore, that that self? Mm. Um, It's funny because uh, it would show up in smaller, smaller ways uh, or different ways, you know? So, so we, you know, people talk a lot about karma, you know, like uh, it's like how I'm constructed. And that's a lot of what I got chance to see while I was there was I got to see karmic patterns. And so if I felt like I nailed something in one area, it would tend to squeak out in another. So what I talk a lot about and what I help my clients with now that I'm out in the world is something called process, you know, how we do what we do. So much of the world is focused on what, you know, like um, making a lot of money. Well, making a lot of money can have lot. there are lots of different motivations for doing that. You know what I mean? Like one is uh, feeling insecure. Another one is I want to actually make a difference in the world. So that money is going to be used for something else. And, and so... I, I look a lot at uh, how I do what I do. And so it, once I, you know, so there are certain themes that kept cropping up for me in my training at the monastery, like communication was one uh, and, and the struggles around it and uh, the places that I saw that I uh, really need to focus on because I would start to believe the voices more when it came to certain situations. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I kind of I'm curious. I might dive a little bit deeper. Yeah, go uh, for it. Yeah. When you say like um, communication is something you struggled with, kind of in in what way? What what? Okay. What really changed for you I in that respect? A, I I drew a cartoon about it um, when I was training at the monastery. It was an autobiography cartoon, and uh, it's in my book, Meditation and Reinventing Yourself. It's uh it's a cartoon called The Leak, and it's about this guy who's on the Titanic. Uh, you don't know that at the beginning. You just notice this leak. Uh, and he's like, oh, you know what? I should tell someone about this. This is uh, this is serious. And uh, he sees the captain and he's like, uh, you know, I really need to. And then he just stops himself because the uh, captain looks like he's in a really bad mood. And he's like, nah, don't bother him now. You'll just ruin his day. He's already miserable, right? And so then he goes and he sees this um, iceberg. <laughs> And he's like, you know, the voice, he's like, I need to tell someone about this. And the voices are popping up around him saying, oh, no, you better not say anything. You'll get in trouble for not seeing this sooner. And so anyway, long story short, the, the you know, the, the boat goes down and the voices beat him up for, you know, you should have said something earlier. So it's just exactly how they work. They would set me up. And um, I was in lots of areas of responsibility at the monastery and the uh, I would always see this pattern start to creep up where it was like, it's too soon to tell them. And then I would put off saying anything to the people that really needed to know this information until it was too late. And then it became really unpopular because I didn't say anything (laughs) earlier. And uh, then what happens is the voices circle back around and they do the idiot thing, but they also say something like, see, communication doesn't work. And so it just, digs a deeper hole for me to fall into where I say less and less. And, um, you know, maybe people who are listening can see how something like this crops up for themselves, you know, because it's a, the way the voices work is that there's a setup and then there's a knockdown and, um, they keep us trapped in this cyclical pattern of, uh, doing the same stupid stuff over and over and over again and never being able to get through it to the other side. And, Unfortunately, 
And fortunately for me at the monastery is that um, one thing that I should note about um, yes or goodbye that I said earlier is that the context of the monastery was structured so that it was a very compassionate environment, meaning that I was allowed to screw up endlessly. And if I saw how I screwed up, that was the whole point of me being there. You know, seeing how the voices trick me into this nonsense, how I go along with it and how I get through to the other side and use it as a spiritual opportunity to transform my life. That's the name of the game. Again, we're not trying to avoid the voices. The whole the whole place was designed to like trigger them left and right. And, you know, <laughs> have a little freak out party in your own head. Right. And how you deal with that is everything. And so uh I, I got to see how I kept myself in that cyclical pattern, uh, how I caused myself to suffer as we would talk about it, and then how I could free myself from that too. And so it, I hope that answers your question yeah, around beautiful. the depth of it. Yeah, thank you. And, and yeah. so I'm curious because I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this really must help you with your coaching, but without jumping ahead too much here so um you come out of the monastery what what you know what happens next do you come out like yeah. with nothing i mean how on <laughs> earth do you do you what yeah what happens next <laughs> yeah yeah so um i came out of the monastery and i did come out with anything but i did i mean i came out with a little bit so i i can't i while i was training we had a stipend for uh things that we may need while we were while we uh, while we were training, you know, toiletries, personal, you know, clothing, anything like that, um, and um, so I wasn't completely broke, so to speak. Um, I I knew that I wanted to go back to my hometown in um, in New Jersey uh, to spend some time with my family, rebuilding my lay life because I knew I needed to. Uh, after 14 years, some amazing stuff happens. <laughs> amazing in quotes. Uh, it's uh, you see your credit is really crappy. Uh, I had no idea that that would be the case. You know, not spending money. You know, <laughs> you know they're like, uh, no, we can't give you a credit card. You haven't spent money for the last 14 years. Uh, that's not true. But you know, it's it's sort of like that. I had I I opened up a bank account and um, I uh, I I. Um, I knew that I wanted to take what I had learned that made a difference for me. I was really creative at the monastery. I created a cartoon series, like I shared. You know, it's the that cartoon. Um, yeah. The leak is part of uh, the Voices cartoons, and it was. Um, I wanted to really. I had. I what I knew about myself was that I loved creativity. I loved to express in ways that are really different from. A lot of the people that I knew around me or that I experienced around me that I could when I when I was facilitating group, I felt like I could really connect with people on a down to earth level, because one thing that I run into even now in Zen and with the mindfulness and, and even 3P is that there's a lot of head game. Uh, conversation and language that really I find incredibly unhelpful Um, and it 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 takes away from what could really help somebody in this moment like what's the practical application of this and I always had this ability to get down to what that kernel is and connect with someone on a level that they could get it you know really get it where the lights come on and they're like oh my god that's it yes exactly and it comes through in story and it comes through in in um, you know poetry and and, in that kind of like visual expression so that's really what i wanted to do and so um the challenges that i ran into were uh i had to build everything back up again and so I, uh, I Googled something called, um, let's see, how did I phrase it? It was how to do what you love. And several people came up when I did that search. There was Sadie Nardini, who was um, a yoga punk rock person back in the day uh, when yoga was still starting to uh, get popular. And she had a unique way of voice. And uh, there was uh, Scott Dinsmore of uh, Live Your Legend. And I joined his blog community and and so um yeah there was also uh jacob sokol who mm-hmm. uh who runs sensify 
And so anyway, there was this, you know, list of people and I, I checked out everybody because I was serious about uh, hitting the ground running, you know, because I didn't really want to waste any time. The realization that I had one night uh, upon waking up uh, because I had inner turmoil after I, I, I came out a little bit, you know, like it was that dark night of the soul thing where the voices were, did you make the right decision? Are you doing the right thing? You know, like, but it was the same thing that I experienced when I went into the monastery too. And lots of times when I was training at the monastery and I have stories about that as well, where the voices just jump on you and it's just torturous. And I had to take everything that I but it's practicing with and practice through that. And my realization was that in order for me to keep the practice that I had uh, been training with all that time, I needed to offer it. I needed to show up for others the way that I was showing up for them at the monastery. If I did do that, I would lose everything. And so I set up my life in such a way that I had to keep constantly showing up for others. And so taking all that how to do what you love, uh, I, I uh, started that blog, I started writing, I started sharing, I, I, I did whatever everyone else out here was saying. And then uh, I would say much, much later than I, than I thought, uh, I thought, thought that it would take, I discovered coaching. I didn't even know what coaching was, you know, when I came out of the monastery. I, um, I, uh, uh, it was through Jacob Sokol that I found out what coaching was. And when I just read about what uh, the description of what coaching, uh, what, how coaching worked, I said, oh my gosh, this is what I was doing at the monastery for 14 years. I was helping people one-on-one in these conversations that were transformative. And um, I, I really want to look into this. And so I just sent out an application. He was, uh, he was uh, sending out applications for his... Um, is a coaching mastermind group. And I, I thought, oh, let me just give it a shot. I, it's nothing in me that said that I was um, going to get it or not. Uh, but uh, uh, I said, what the heck? I filled it out. And then I heard back within a couple days from, from his staff. And uh, the rest is history in the coaching world. You know, like I, I, I participated in his three-month program. Actually, that's not true. I actually struggled getting into his coaching program because I had no money. I had very little, you know, I had only the whatever I had uh, uh, saved uh, from my training at the monastery for the stipend. And so I had less than the amount that he was asking for for his um, mastermind. And so... Uh, Instead of it turning into, and this is really a, a testament to his coaching, instead of it being a, no, I can't do it, it, it turned into a game. It's a, he called it an obstacle course uh, to, for me to, uh, if I wanted to be in this and he wanted me to be in this, then we would figure out how we would get in, how I would participate in this. And, and I figured it out. I figured out how to get into the uh, rock, you know, his, uh, his mastermind group. And... Um, I guess, I guess from there, the rest is history. I, I, I had enough incentive to want to be successful at this that I had 10 paying coaching clients by the time the program was over. And, um, and yeah, it was just, you know, it just kept going from there. I, uh, I met Steve Chandler uh, from Jacob. Uh, that was the next step from, um, from his um, mastermind. And uh, I participated in Steve Chandler's program for a couple couple years in a row. And uh, from there, it's just been uh, an incredible journey. Lots of ups and downs, lots of sideways and backwards yeah. and all around. But I'm really used to that because the monastery taught me that there's a way to love learning. And that's what I did when I came out was I took everything that I knew uh, about the process of helping yourself learn, and I applied it when I got out here, meaning I, I didn't know how to build a website. I looked into information on how to do that, and then I ended up, since I've been out of the monastery, I think I've built something like six or seven websites for myself and someone else, and um, I'm probably going to build one <laughs> for someone <laughs> that I know close close to me right now. It's just but it's uh, it's same thing with uh, building a business too. It's it's no different. You apply that same kind of um, beginner's mind to all of it. You're just really incredibly curious, excited about the process, knowing all the obstacles that that can arise within yourself, and then choosing to do whatever it takes to 
to get to the other side, helping yourself through it. I'm wondering what what perhaps was the biggest challenge? I mean, because I, I guess I'm imagining that coming coming out of the monastery, okay, and um, engaging in some training and getting some professional help. Um, mm-hmm. What was the biggest challenge? Was it like enrolling and getting those first few clients? I'm kind of curious where they came from, um, or has it been something else since? Um, Restrict to building your coaching practice. Yeah. In terms of building my coaching practice, the most challenging thing. Um, that's really interesting. I I um, let's see. When I was in um, when I was in uh, the uh, group with Jacob. I was also uh, participating at a local yoga studio um, that I had uh, that I had found, and I was helping the young woman who owned the yoga studio. Uh, I remember I, the first night that I met her, um, I said, uh, "Like I love what you're up to. I want to see if there's any way I can help you." And so I helped her with her business in lots of different ways through our through our time together. Um, I thought that was really, I know I'm going to get to your question because I need to set the context for, I wasn't completely in a vacuum, you know, like I, I, um, when I came out of the monastery, I, I, I was living with my family, but at the same time, I had a group of people that I was starting to meet in the area and, um, the yoga community was very similar in its intent where they were open to meditation and they were open to the kinds of things that I was really interested in. I was like a personal development junkie. uh, And it seems like those kinds of communities are, are more open to that, you know, cause, um, and so it was funny. I, I was in the, the mastermind group and, uh, I told the, um, I told the owner of the yoga studio that what I was up to, and from there I was just enrolling people who were actually coming into the yoga studio. You know, my she would even say to somebody as they were coming through the doors, like, "Do you need a life coach?" And uh, the guy would just be stunned, and he'd say, "Well, yeah, of course." And and I'd have conversations with people that I was meeting left and right from from just interacting with them. I uh, I started to um, do uh, meditation workshops at the uh, yoga studio. Uh, it was my idea to have workshops at this at this yoga studio. I, I, I gave her lots of ideas on how to even build her own business uh, from, from a lot of the things that I was doing. So things that I was discovering, I was helping her with. And from the meditation workshops, people just naturally started to come from that because they were like, oh my God, I want more of this. I I, I just got a taste of meditation, but I get the, I get the whole, uh, I get a sense that you know what's going on inside of a person that's causing me to struggle. I remember one of my first uh, conversations I had with uh, an, an early client, and um, a lot of my early coaching was around um, not therapy type of work, but I guess it could be considered it a little bit. It was so. Uh, let me just say, uh, the, the woman that approached me, she was having uh, panic attacks weekly, at least one every week, and she came to the meditation workshop hoping to get some relief from that. And so she reached out to me and she says, "Could you help me?" And so I gave her something to do. I gave her practice to do, and I worked with her for several weeks through it. And you know, God bless her. She actually did it. You know, she uh, she did the work herself. And um, and uh, so yeah, she was a client for a while. The, the panic attacks long gone. Um, I, as a matter of fact, I reached out to her just to see how she was doing recently, maybe about a few months ago. And she says, "Oh my God, if you ha- if I had not met you and if I had not talked to you, I'd probably be on Prozac somewhere in a corner." Uh, and I was really moved when she said that. And I said, "You know, that's amazing." I I um. I'm really happy to hear that, and she's doing really well in her life, and I just love stories like that. And um, so, anyway, I hope that answers the question about um, where people, you know, what I, the challenges. It's funny; they've just been different, though. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's it's never about. Um, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to say it because it keeps coming up to my mind. I think the most challenging thing for me is that I know that the the work that I did at the monastery was incredibly transformative. I um 
I have an online program called Heart to Heart Compassionate Self Mentoring where it trains people to ditch the voices in their head and choose their authentic compassionate mentor within them. So here's the most challenging thing for me is that I know this work is incredibly powerful. The hardest part for me is figuring out how to communicate that to those around me to want that badly enough for themselves to jump in and choose that for themselves. I see so many people trapped with this someday, maybe tomorrow. Um, it won't work for me. Um, I, uh, I don't have money. I don't have time. It's the voices that could have stopped me from doing what I did. And it, I think the level of challenge for me is seeing that okay, this is happening for them right now. How do I communicate to them that they are being stopped in a way that will encourage them to take advantage of what is here for them and available right now? Biggest thing ever it still is, you know, I have people that do the online retreat and, and they're like, um, they're in the middle of it and the voices get really challenging and powerful there and, um, Sometimes they bail on themselves, you know, I'll reach out and say, hey, are the voices drowning you in this and I don't hear anything back. And that is the, the hardest, hmm. most challenging thing for me is seeing how these shitty voices just trap people and stop them from going forward. And it just encourages me more, though, to come up with more and more creative ways to cut that up to demolish it, to bust through it, to encourage and motivate others through that. And so I hope, yeah, I think that that nails it for me. Uh, it's not so much coaching. You know, every part of it has been really fun and exciting. And, and um, uh, if you just love people and uh, show up compassionately and want nothing more than that for them to wake up and end suffering and, and to be successful and not successful in a what kind of way, like I mentioned earlier, but successful in a how kind of way. I think that's the distinction that I try to find in the coaching that I do with my clients is there's so much focus on when I get this, then I'll be happy. But that was my story. My mm -hmm. story was I thought that I would get all this stuff and then be happy. That's never the case. You get anything for yourself, whether it be a car or a client, that happiness lasts maybe a day, maybe a two days, and then the voices go, what's next? You know, rub their hands together and they're just like, it's just never ending. And so I'm interested in how a person becomes successful, meaning I want them to be loved, encouraged, and guided, and supported, and find it exhilarating, and choose the how of being successful over the content because we're all going to i'm just going to say it we're all going to die <laughs> i know it's very unpopular it's not a cheerful subject matter i don't think that needs a spoiler alert so i think we're good no yeah. no no there is no spoiler alert except that we try we try to keep that under wraps we don't actually pay attention to any of that you know where we have this delusion that uh my success means something and i'll somehow carry it with me into the other lifetime or something <laughs> like that i'll get buried with it you know bury me with my money you know, um, I, I'm not confused about what I think we're here for. And um, I think that's why people, uh, at least the clients that I work with, seek me out. They've tried everything. You know what I mean? They've done everything. They've, um, they uh, they want to start something new. They, see, they hear my story of dropping everything and then building something brand new. And um, I, I think they want that for themselves. I think everybody wants this kind of... Um, inner inner peace and outer fun that um you know excitement you know my mom my teacher modeled that perfectly for us uh she had a the busiest life and schedule that i've ever seen a human have she was making a difference in every facet of life imaginable there are people in africa eating because she's alive and she's you know doing what she does and there's there's uh, the zen practice is transforming everybody's life around her and and uh and i am so deeply grateful for how busy she was and um but inside the woman is like centered she's focused she's calm she's she's uh 
guy, she's delegating what needs to be delegated. She's not doing it all herself. She's, um, she modeled for me how it's possible to uh, be very active on the outside, but incredibly focused, calm, mm-hmm. peaceful, and um, just joyful on the inside. And I think everybody craves that. I know I, I want that for myself, and so I can't ever fool myself into, into thinking it's about uh, achieving something on the outside. I'll never sacrifice another human being, myself or anyone else, for a goal, so to speak. Mm. So, you know, um, and there's a little thing in there that you mentioned. I just want to like repeat it, tease it out a little bit because I think it's absolutely key. I love that you said, even now, perhaps you know that the, the challenge here is um, knowing or feeling that we can help someone and them not perhaps letting us help them. And and I love that you said that because I think every single person listening to this will relate to that in some way or another. I certainly do. And in various ways that kind of happens to, you know, me uh, offering, I've offered, you know, sometimes if I have a cancellation, I might offer that um, on my Facebook wall and I'll get people reply and I'll ask them a simple question. What would you like from our conversation? And some people don't even reply to that. And I, you know, I notice, well, you know, are you willing to let this help in? Yeah. Are you willing to let the gift of life in? Yeah. So yeah, it's beautiful that that you that you you bring that out. I'm wondering since you've been out of a monastery. Who... Do you mind if I? Oh, I'm sorry. Do, please do. Yeah, I uh, some, so, something I need to add there that we can't lose sight of in our in our profession. And I know people say this all the time, but I have to be one of those people. Is that we can't want something more than they want it for themselves. Yeah. So the trap that I could easily fall into is. Uh, uh, feeling like it's up to me yeah. to be the difference for someone else, and it's um, yeah. Uh, we we really need to. Uh, I will do everything for somebody who is willing to do anything to see it themselves through to the other side. I know that it's their journey. It is not mine. Mm. Um, in Zen, there's uh, the image of pointing the finger at the moon. I I can only be that finger for somebody. Uh, they need to be the one to build a rocket ship <laughs> to get to the moon or to at least get grasp the concept of what I'm pointing to. And so even though it is a challenge, it's my what I want you to hear in this is that it's my challenge in that it motivates me to get more creative with bridging the gap uh, so that people can can understand like maybe they didn't hear it this way. Maybe this maybe this is another way that I can say this that will encourage people to do this for themselves. I don't want to have a whole bunch of coaches listening and get discouraged by the fact that people don't want to help themselves. There are a group of people who who would be willing to to do the work. It's just that sometimes the most compassionate thing is to keep it's funny in order to be present and compassionate, one must need to be patient and and actually pay attention to who is there in front of you. Sometimes pushing them away is the most compassionate thing you can do. Yeah. Sometimes um, whispering to them and saying, come, this is the way, is the right answer. Sometimes hitting them over the head with a two-by-four, you know, <laughs> a spiritual two-by-four. You know, in Zen, uh, my teacher would say that there, uh, these old uh, Zen masters would carry staffs around, not to help, only to help themselves walk, but to whack unsuspecting, unconscious Zen students awake. And um, I love that, because that's really what we need. And so, I'm paying attention to see what is it that's going to get the eyes open so that they could see what's going on with them. But I can never lose sight of the fact that it's really going to be up to them because it's too hard to do for somebody who needs to be dragged and and yeah. and you don't want to drag anybody. You must work out your own salvation diligently as the Buddha taught. Love Thanks that. for thank letting you. me rant about that. Oh, no, bit. thank you. Um, there's another analogy I heard. I think it might have been Michael Neal, but it could be somebody else. He said sometimes he thinks his um, job is uh, like that of a, a tour guide, a tourist guide. So, you know, he wouldn't kidnap people and take them on his like, <laughs> bus. 
which seems to be what some some people perhaps attempted to do. But you know, if you come aboard the bus, he's going to you know point out to to things as you're touring around. Um, but that's all he's doing, just pointing. He, he's he's not what what he's pointing at. You know, and, right. and, and people choose to to look and and take in, and they have their own experience of that of that tour. So I kind of love that. yes. Yes. And I'm not going to be, yeah, that's really lovely because I'm not going to also, uh, if, uh, on, on the tour, I'm going to point out how they're bringing what they're bringing to the tour. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so the deeper you want to go with it, the more I can show you how you stop yourself from seeing as much as you possibly can on this tour. And so it's really a beautiful journey of, uh, like the more someone is, Here's the game. The more someone says yes, the more I say yes. Mm-hmm. The more someone says no, the more I say no. You know, and I I mirror back the way the monastery mirrored back to me how I was showing up. And so uh it's uh do you know you, I mean any coach who's out there can really relate to this. There's there's a person who shows up and is excited about what they're experiencing, is a joy, is a pleasure, is uh, doing extra work, is it wants wants to have what what what's possible. Mm. And then there's on the flip side, someone's going to listen to a bunch of voices in their head. There's going to be someone's going to drag their feet, going to expect you to be the answer to all their hopes and prayers and uh, blame you or show up late and all that. That's okay. I'm just going to keep mirroring that shit back because uh, in a compassionate way, of course, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because that's the... At the outset, the clear communication that I give to people is that that's how I work. Okay, if you're not, if you don't want to play that game with me, then let's not let's not keep going because I'm all about how. I'm not about um, making sure that this is a uh, a sweet rainbow and unicorn ride for you. <laughs> you no, know, it's uh, it's it's not. And so, if you think it is, I'm sorry. That's just not how it works. <laughs> but. Anyway, even the resistance can be worked with as long as there's that sliver of yes. All you need is a little sliver of yes. Yes, I'll beat myself over the head with this and I'll create a whole bunch of resistance. And I'll wake up and I'll come around and I'll say, damn, I did it again. And then that damn, I did it again is, yeah, you're back in the game. Thank you. Thank you for showing up for yourself that powerfully. Love that. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Oh, you're back. Um, So I'm wondering, since, since you left the monastery, who or what has really helped you the most in to do what you're doing now, both perhaps internally and externally, actually? I think that would be great to, to hear perhaps two aspects to that answer. Okay. Uh, so, wow, that, you know, like, it's one of those things where you write in your book, you're like your thank you part. <laughs> and it's like, wow, where do I begin and where do I end? You know, it's like... Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, hmm. that is hard because what's one of those things where all of life is constantly being that for me? You know, like um, you know the, uh, the 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 expression uh, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. Well, the teacher appears in in a stain on my carpet, and uh, how did that get there? And oh my god. That's I was unconscious during that time, and that's how that showed up there. And now I need to be more present. And it's like um, I would leave someone or something out that I have no way of knowing later on down the line that wow, that was really that was really helpful for me. Um, Shoot, you know, it's like I really want to give you the answer to this, Phil, and it's at the same time. Yeah, at the same time, it's just so huge because I walk around through life with my um, with my senses open to what am I missing? What can I get? What what's how can I help? What, what oh what, how can I use this to help? And um, all of it is is really um, ooh, powerful. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just getting. I'm I'm yeah. starting to experience. I'm starting to experience like the all the little things that I could have easily have glossed over. That are, are really impactful for me now. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, what's next for you? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I have lots of projects uh, that I'm involved. I'm doing right now. I 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this podcast with you and I'm <laughs> with you. And it's like that, that didn't exist a little while ago. And, right. um, I, uh, you know, it goes back to that challenge that I have for myself is that how can I communicate this clearly and in a, in a more, ex, more accessible way? Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm working on another book and the other book is look, turning into several books because there's a theme that keeps running through and I'll just mention it right here, right now. And that is um, a mistaken belief that we... We do a certain thing, meaning that we beat ourselves up. I hear it all the time. And quite frankly, I'm on a mission to put that phrase to an end. And I uh, I didn't know that this is where I was going next, but it keeps showing up. And when life keeps throwing something in front of me and I keep seeing it and I know that I need to address it, uh, it's almost like a no-brainer, kind of like the monastery trip. Uh, or the meditation practice was the no-brainer, right? It's like the next step. And so the next step I can see for myself is putting to end this confusion about what's going on inside of ourselves. Uh, I Maybe I'll name names. Daniel Laporte. Um, a lot of people like these people who talk about self-love and self-compassion and I read them and I hear them speak and they they get a facet of it but they don't have the whole picture and without the sorry I mean I'm just gonna say it because that's that's how I feel I feel like no I haven't heard anyone talk about it as a complete picture mm. and until you get it that you know you do not beat yourself up I need to keep saying no you don't beat yourself up and I think that's going to be the the real title of my next book. It's going to be a short I think it's going to be a short book but it's going to be one that actually reveals the inside. Like what's actually going on inside of ourselves cuz people could say that thought is illusion which is, you know, something that Zen tradition has come from Buddhism's like it's no no one saying anything new. But there's more. There's way more. And uh, what's next for me, I think, is going to be going down that route to actually express what what is compassion, because people get love and compassion all wrapped up in lots of unhelpful ways, mm -hmm. you know, like like I've heard love used in terms of romantic love. I heard love used in terms of being nice and giving people what they want and sacrificing yourself for others and, and, and all sorts of stuff like that. And, um, yeah. So I, I really need to do this hmm. probably for my own clarification, too, you know, because I can see that there are lots of ways that I'm not as strong in the distinction so thank you for that and you know one thing you um you remind me of is the beauty really of being human i think there's a aspect perhaps to our humanity that which is often like glossed over in preference to only exploring perhaps a spiritual side having a spiritual exploration oh. and i know in our conversations that uh, you're very much um very much exploring like the totality of our experience here, be it both spiritual and, and human. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I, I, um, I, I think that, uh, you can't, you can't leave them apart. I, I don't, I don't experience them as, um, as separate, mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, a lot of people, t uh, will tend to veer toward one side or the other with it all. You know, um, I'm just, I'm just happy to see people find find this inner exploration through whatever means they do you know so i was really happy when yoga started to get more and more popular because even those who initially got curious about it in terms of the physical activity you know like i'm going to work out i'm going to do yoga i'm going to stretch whatever you know this going into this kind of um, very superficial level gets a taste of what else is possible because they get hooked on this right they do in these yoga poses or this class several times a week and then they start hearing about meditation you know and then oh what's that and then 
pop, their world just opens up even more and then more and more and more. So I love anything that pops people open to. So if humanity is a way, <laughs> you know, the humanistic approach is what gets people to spirituality, cool. If spirituality gets people to get in touch with their their humanness, that's cool too. I, I, I just want to be able to see if there's a way to bridge all sorts of um, gaps so that we get to really explore um, how we're, you know, it's like what's possible versus how we're stopped, you know? And um, I think that's that's the name of the game, right? It's like, where are we putting our attention? It's, it's my, it's what I love the most about uh, the work that uh, that I've been doing. It's like your attention can be one of two places, either here or not here. And uh, let's get it here and see what's like, what that's like, uh, so. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Alex. This has been, yeah, you know, you. not just one of the most fascinating and beautiful interviews. It's been one of the most fascinating conversations that I've, I've had. So, you know, I'm, I'm so, so happy that um, you're, you're in my life in the way that you are. I'm very, very grateful for you. I love you to bits. Thank you very much mm -hmm. for taking the, the time um, to talk to me and, and, and to our listeners. Thank you. Oh, oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Phil. Likewise. Well, how about that? That was Alex Mill. There's simply so much in this conversation, I'm not even going to attempt to pull out just a few things in summary. I'd love to hear from you, though, about this episode and anything you got from it, what you think of it, um, about this conversation with Alex. You know, I'm so honoured to call him a friend. He messaged me after this recording to say that these are exactly the kind of conversations he lives for, you know, sharing his wisdom and all that he's learned in that monastery to help people transform their lives, their business and be much more in touch with and understand love. I think it was a beautiful conversation. It's one of the most fascinating conversations I've had. If you've enjoyed this episode or indeed any of the others, please do head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Come on, you know why. It'll take you less than a minute. You know why. Thank you once again for listening. And without you, I wouldn't be doing this. I really appreciate all the messages I do get about this podcast. Your feedback and your messages always mean so much to me. So thank you to those of you who have sent me messages and feedback and as always i wish you all much love and joy 